Hey guys, hey ladies, hey friends, hey foes. We just wanted to take a second to remind you that while we're okay swearing when little ears are listening, you might not be, and that's okay. So here's your chance to pause us and wait for nap time, or pop in your earbuds. We hope you enjoy the episode. And before you turn off the episode, I personally know that getting into something heavy or something you don't want to happen is hard. I would always assume not to listen to an episode about grief because I would think that I'm like welcoming in something bad to happen. But Jenna and I feel very strongly that this is something that everyone needs in their toolbox because unfortunately... You are going to, let's take you out of the equation. Your spouse might is going to lose a parent. A friend is mm-hmm. going to lose a parent. Someone you know has already lost a parent. And we want to not only talk to you about how we have dealt with the loss of our parents, but we also want to talk to you about how to support the people around you when they lose parents. So... Note this is a heavier episode, but we're going to try to keep it kind of concise to just give you the basics. And then we'll dive in a little bit more to how you can support people around you and how our journey of grief looked and how we wished people would have supported us. And that'll be on a smaller episode. Yep. We're going to do like a little bonus episode, like a short and sweet episode after this to talk specifically about how to help friends and spouses. Mm-hmm. But this episode is primarily going to focus on us, what we went through, what happened, and what we wish we would have had support-wise during our darkest grief times. And so yeah. when Jenna and I met, again, this is done playing by the rules. So when Jenna and I met, the first thing we bonded over was both of us having deceased parents that was way too young in our opinion. And this is our now, first like deep solo conversation. Yes. Like, way to get heavy, you know? Yeah, but and our kids was... are playing on a playground mm-hmm. and I'm a wreck. And I didn't, honestly, I don't think I've ever told you this. Like Zach wanted to play on the playground that day and Ezra wanted to play on the playground that day. And I was in a mess of a state and I wanted to be like, get in a fucking car because I've been <laughs> crying all day. And I was like, whatever, it's sunny. Let him play in the sun for a few minutes. And you were there with Ezra. And I was thinking, I can't go home and be alone with these kids right now. (laughs) So let's play until dad gets home from work. (laughs) I know. And we we were there for so long. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what finally brought up the conversation, but we've talked about this on um, other episodes. We'll talk about it a million times. But I said, I'm just having a really hard day. And I had never like, oh, I hadn't met a new friend since my dad had passed. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't want to because that's one thing you and I talk about a lot is when you meet new people and you have to say, Mm -hmm. my dad's dead. Mm -hmm. My, your parents, Mm -hmm. you have to say something even worse, which is. Well, and it's, it's the most (laughs) awkward thing. And it's like, whenever I meet someone, I want to be like, hi, my name is Jenna and my parents are dead. Just to get it out there. Just to get it over with. 
it's one of those things like, you know, it's going to come up, especially with mm-hmm. our age, because you start talking about in-laws and people helping with kids yeah. and that support system. And it comes up. It does. And it's one of those things you just want to blurt out to get it over with. Yes. Because you know, it's going to happen. And then sometimes yeah. it does catch you off guard and people are like, so where do your parents live? And my response was, they don't, they're dead. Like <laughs> who says that? I mean, this happened to Jenna like two weeks ago and I was there and yeah. we didn't realize our, our beautiful, sweet, mutual friend. I thought we had already told her and she said it and Jenna like was so caught off guard and she made it so extra special. Yep. And I've always had this like idea in my head, like what I'll say to people. And that has yet to come out. It's always, isn't it weird? Awful. I practice and practice and yes. practice. And I always say something mm-hmm. insanely bizarre. Yeah. And it just okay. caught me off guard. And <laughs> luckily she still talks to me. She's now my neighbor. So I can't help it. She has to right. talk to you because you guys exactly. share a yard. So what we were saying is what one thing you have to understand is when a person is going through grief, they can't really for a while form new relationships. I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't think it's possible because no. Honestly, you and I have talked about this and this was one of my like most shameful secrets. And I think I've probably only told you this, but I might've told my sister. Um, Well, after my dad died, there was a period where there was a long period that I didn't super love my husband. Mm -hmm. There was a shorter period where I didn't even love my kids. Mm -hmm. And that's, I don't know where that comes from. And I think that you had said, and I won't, I don't want to speak for you. Did you have any of this experience? experience Mm -hmm. at all okay but I had it and I like I said I depression is not the thing I really struggle with but I have struggled with it and when I struggled with it that's when I felt those emotions so I don't know if it's like a little bit depression as well okay but those emotions were very as well as I was petrified of losing my husband but at the same time I'm like I don't even know if I really like you right now (laughs) Yeah. And I felt the same way about my kids. I was like, Mm -hmm. if I love them, if I love them, because I loved my dad so much. Anyone Mm -hmm. that knew us, we were like best, 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 best friends. And I was like, if I love my kids the way I loved him, something bad's Mm going to happen to them. And your brain is just this weird like thing of firing neurons where like nothing makes sense. And so if you meet someone and you maybe don't know they're in grief, And I'm not a huge proponent of this, like, you don't know what someone else is carrying around, so be nice to everyone. I'm not an anti-proponent of it because you really don't. And I've lived it now because no one knew that my dad had died a month before school, not even, three weeks before school started. And I wasn't up to making new friends. And I kind of tried to avoid everyone as much as possible at a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And that day I didn't even want to be on that playground because I was like, I'm going to stand out here on this playground. I'm going to end up talking to this mom. And then I'm Mm going to have to be like, I'm going to start crying. I I wore my sunglasses into drop off a lot. I don't know if you remember that because I just Uh cry the whole way to school. And then I said, I'm having a really hard time because my dad has been dead for a month. I think it was a month today. And you said. Mine too. Yeah, Jenna. Oh, I think I probably said, "Well, both of mine are dead." Like you, you did a you you did an excited gasp because probably both of mine are dead, and I was like, "Are you serious?" And I was like, "Dance and do ring around the rosy now." And (laughs) from that minute on, like we just fully opened up and we're like nitty gritty everything. I think when you Mm -hmm. open with something like that, you really get to like really dive into a person quickly. Yeah. 
And I think that's why this podcast became the way it is because we never played by the rules because our first meeting was our parents are dead. Yeah. Uh, where do we go from here? You don't really go to like, would you like a pottery class? Would you like right. us? You just <laughs> dive into the deep shit. Yeah. So you know a lot about my my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know as much about your parent. I know the basics of your parents' stories, yeah. which are we should clarify. Uh, my dad died. Your parents died in separate incidents apart. Yeah, which is another fun thing you get to tell people. Like, no, they exactly. weren't killed in a car crash. <laughs> they died. We have two traumatic stories that, that are very <laughs> lifetime movie. So, <laughs> so Jenna is going to talk a little bit about her timeline of what happened with her parents. I'll tell a little bit about my timeline and then we're going to talk about our lifetime line after yeah. what happens. Yeah. I'll let you, do you want to start with your dad? I'm totally fine. Mine yeah. kind of like go together. So. Okay. Ish. So my dad was my entire universe. We were best friends since literally the day I was born. And, um, he, lived his life to the fullest never ever ever played by anyone's rules (laughs) he always said like I assume that I will be him and his dad both were always like we'll be dead by 50 and my dad would always say if I'm what did he say if I hit 75 and my health starts to go downhill I'm something about a speedboat like he just had no (laughs) he wasn't going to be an old guy and so he rode a giant motorcycle called a Bass Haas. I don't know if everyone knows what that is. It's like a motorcycle with a giant engine in it with a big V8. And he never wore a helmet. And we always told him you need to wear a helmet. We'd buy him helmets for Christmas. And it just wasn't his style. And so he, in, in April, of 2017 I had a two-month-old baby and we were on a flight to Florida to visit my mother-in-law and when we got off the plane my sister called me and said dad's been in a motorcycle accident Mm. and so um I started crying and I was like trying to keep it together because Zach was like what's going on and for two days I think he was unconscious or maybe one day he was unconscious and I was like I'm gonna fly home and Josh was like, well, because I was nursing Mikey. So he's like, you're going to fly home by yourself with a two-month-old. And I was like, I don't know. Let's just play it by ear. So the first night, I think he might have, it might have been one day. I can't remember. But it's all that the, frantic. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so Josh starts calling. Like he, so my dad, what happened was he was leaving a parking lot on his motorcycle and he hit gravel on the shoulder oh. as he was pulling out of a parking lot and he hadn't had anything to drink. None of the motorcycle guys he rides with drank. He was going 35 miles an hour, hit gravel, the back of his bike came out wow. and he fell right onto his head. Oh. And because he didn't have a helmet on, he sustained a 35 mile an hour direct head impact. So he was conscious and talking at the scene, but he, because there had been a death near there on a motorcycle a month before, they met a Metaflight, medevac, air flight, air flight, <laughs> air flight. I don't flew, know. <laughs> they flew him from the scene, even though he was conscious to the hospital. And I think he was unconscious by the time he got to the hospital. They flew him from Wisconsin to a great uh, brain injury hospital, Minneapolis. I can't remember which one it was because I was in Florida. And on the second night, he called me and was pretty lucid, but still like 
Mm-hmm. It was like three in the morning and I got the call from the hospital oh number gosh. and I sat up in bed and I was like, Josh. And Josh sat up and we just looked at each other and it was my dad on the phone. And he was like, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Don't come home from your trips. My dad always had a rule about you don't ruin vacations. He said, whatever <laughs> problem that happens while you're on vacation will still be a problem when you come home. So don't rush mm-hmm. home. Um, his brain injury ended up being way worse than we knew. When we got home from Florida, we went straight to the hospital, picked him up. They didn't tell us anything about this. We had no no knowledge of traumatic brain injury. We bring him mm-hmm. home to our house. I have a two-month-old baby, and he is fully deteriorating in my house. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to take care of him and a baby. He is a six-foot-two, 300-pound of muscle guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to carry him up the stairs by this belt that they give you. And, like, it's chaos. Could he not walk, or was it just He like- couldn't. Um, he didn't have his full leg strength. Okay. And so they they give you like a support belt to like guide him. So he could get up and down the stairs, but he couldn't do it without help. Mm-hmm. And so, and we lived in a house that didn't have a main floor bedroom. And so he came back to our house to like recover. And by like day seven, he was mm-hmm. deteriorating so rapidly that my aunt had to come and pick him up and take him to uh, like a nursing home, basically. Mm-hmm. Then he had terrible vertigo couldn't get out of bed months and months and months of like trying to get him pt trying to get him ot nightmare 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 if you have no experience with traumatic brain injury i'm gonna link like some traumatic brain injury websites that help me a lot um in this show in the show notes um because i'll look at those too because i don't know much yeah and i had no (laughs) idea so when he fell he fractured all the bones in the front of it one side of his face oh my god so he was like all the orbital bones and all of it and so he was like a big bruisey mess and then he had a big like so he had to wear like a bandana at my house so he wouldn't scare my kids (laughs) yeah and it was a shit show so he ends up going back to assisted living he lives there for a few months until he kind of starts to get the vertigo under control and then my sister is a goddamn saint and she signed a lease to live with him for a year in an apartment that he could function out of that um, he re- did a lot of his recovering in. And then by, so that was 20, the motorcycle accident happened in 2017. By Christmas of 2018, he was in a really good health place. And we went home that Christmas. And he had his own apartment. He was living independently. He used a cane. He had his driver's license back. He had ridden on his motorcycle. Oh, my gosh. None of of us agreed to, but he didn't give a shit. We had the best Christmas ever with him. I have so many cute pictures of him feeding my kids cookies. And he was just, like, so with Mm. it and so happy. And we came home. And sometime in there, something happened. They think he might have had a stroke after He started Mm -hmm. to get really angry on the phone. We couldn't quite figure out what was going on. Um, And then August, uh, nope, not August, June 15th, uh, we got a, of 2019, we got a phone call that he had had a heart attack. I talked to him all week. He thought he had pneumonia. He was laying in bed. Message to viewers. If you're someone is laying in bed and they think they have pneumonia, could be potential heart problem. And he has a strong history of heart disease. He's had three stints put in at that point. His whole family has terrible heart disease. His brother died at 35 of a heart attack. Oh, my gosh. Everyone died. Like, 
terrible heart disease in the side of the family. So we've always been really hypervigilant about it, but it didn't click that time. So he had had a massive heart attack and was still okay, but had gone to the hospital because his girlfriend was like, this doesn't seem right. Like we're going to get you checked out. Um, so they, we fly home that night. My husband gets off of a red eye and I say, we need to go to Minneapolis. So we get right back on a plane, fly to Minneapolis. I go to the hospital. He's going to get open heart surgery the next day. He asked to see my kids, which is, you, as you know, is one of my like mm-hmm. hang up still to this day. He begs and begs and begs for me to bring my kids to the hospital. I say no because he has a tube in his neck. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes in for open heart surgery. He's supposed to be up and standing in like eight hours after surgery. Um, I'm there when he goes in. I'm there when he comes out. He starts to like really make everything is going as according to plan as he comes out. Um, a lot more damage had happened. He ended up having quadruple bypass, which oh we gosh. thought it was just going to be like double bypass and everything was blocked when they went in. And so things were going well. And then I don't remember how long into it, things started not going well. Mm-hmm. And, but we had, we were there for like eight days the first time. And he ended up having, because of the injuries he sustained in the motorcycle accident, he had limited neck mobility. So when they would intubate him. It was extremely hard because because he didn't have the range of motion that you would to put your head. So when they intubate someone, they need your head to be able to go all the way back. And because of his motorcycle accident, he couldn't bend his head as well as other people. And so every intubation was really hard for them. And so they would put in a tube, take out the tube, put in the tube, mm-hmm. take out the tube. And finally, they were like, we can't keep putting it in and out. So they did yeah. um, the trachea- tracheoscopy, yeah. I think they call it where they put the tube in through his throat. Then he starts coming too, but his brain is super foggy and he's not like super lucid. And we're told that it's kind of called like delir- something delirium because he was on so much medicine for so long and so knocked out for so long. So this is probably, so he, the heart attack happened June 15th. His birthday was June 17th. And we were like, you're going to be up by your birthday. We'll bring you a cake. The kids can come see you. Um, so this is like July that, um, he starts to kind of come out of it, but he's super foggy and not making sense. And they're like, this will go away. It's just delirium from, um, being so sedated for so long. Cause it was like a month that they were trying wow. to intubate and excavate him with the breathing tube and stuff. Then, uh, the last picture I have is like August 3rd. He faced, my mom was visiting him, even though they've been divorced for 25 years. She visited him all the time. We everybody was visiting him all the time. He was in a facility that was supposed to be his last stop before going to like an assisted living for rehab. And so I talked to him on maybe August 3rd, I want to say of 2019. And I FaceTimed him and Zach was napping and Mikey was awake, of course. Mm-hmm. My oldest was napping and my youngest was awake. <laughs> and so I have a picture that I took of us FaceTiming him and he was doing so well. And he had one tube left in that they had to take out. And it was like the feeding tube that went through his nose. And they were like, once we can get him like swallowing and eating, we can take that tube out. Or we have to put one in that's long-term through a stomach. And Mm -hmm. so we were waiting to find out what they were going to decide on that. And he ended up on August 9th having um, a fatal heart attack. Mm -hmm. And they called me when I was going to bed. And... Um, Josh is his um, power of attorney, and they mm-hmm. called my phone because I was his. The hospital prop. called your phone. The yeah the well he was like in a, like yeah whatever, whatever the middle yeah. care yeah 
So they called my phone. I was going to bed and they were like, we need to talk to Josh. And I was like, well, I'm his medical proxy. And they were like, we need to talk to Josh. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And they were like, it's bad. We need to talk to Josh. And so because I'm medical proxy, I can't make legal decisions. Right. I can only like make like minor medical decisions and Josh can make all legal decisions. And so, which was the smartest thing we ever did after my dad's traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Mental note to everyone: If a parent has a traumatic brain injury, get legal <laughs> proxy so that Amen. you can make decisions for them. You'll learn in my story. So. You'll learn from Jenna's story, but that was the yep. smartest thing we ever did. He was very, and we wanted to make sure we did it correctly. And Josh trusts, or my dad trusted Josh to the ends mm-hmm. of the earth, and knew that Josh and him shared the same views on end of life care, and he knew that Josh would be able to make hard decisions, and so. Thank God, because so, I mean, we didn't have to make like life support decisions, but my dad and Josh had talked about it before. And so they knew each other's wishes, but Mm -hmm. um, I was standing in the hallway and Josh was standing by the table and I said, what's going on? And he said, they can't get him back. He's not coming back. And um, I was like, he's going to come back. He's going to come back. Mm -hmm. And Josh was like, he's not coming back. And I was like, what does that mean? And he just said, Janelle, he's gone. And that was like the end of it. Um, And so um, I remember where I was standing. I remember Mm -hmm. like falling onto the table and grabbing onto it. And like I had to call, I think I called my sister and was like, I need you to call mom and Steven because I can't. And Josh was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, we're going to Minnesota he was like, well, let me book a flight. I was like, I want to go right now. Mm-hmm. And he was like, let me book a flight in the morning. And I was like, pack the, pack the car. Like I want to mm-hmm. go. And that's and something that like, people don't talk about that feeling of like, I have to do it now. Like, yeah. there's no, like it's, I don't yeah. care if it's a 50 hour drive and a two hour flight, which doesn't even add up. Well, we, did, you know a what I mean? like, we did an 18 yeah. hour drive versus a two hour flight. Yeah. Yes. It just, you have to do in it In the now. middle of the night with kids in their pajamas, mm-hmm. we left it. We got the call, I think at 11, we left at 2 AM and mm-hmm. we fucking drove straight goddamn through. Yeah. And you just have to be there. You have to get yes. there. And, um, we didn't tell my kids, which we, we really preach honesty to the kids. We didn't tell what well, Mikey was one and a half maybe, <laughs> but we didn't tell Zach and him were best friends. We didn't tell Zach till we got there. We just said bump was really sick. We got to get back. To, so dad, you know, and then we told him when we got there and started, we had to go straight as soon as we hit Minnesota, we had to go straight to the funeral home and start planning. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, the drive was so long, but that's the other thing that people need to understand in grief, which was something I was very ill prepared for. As soon as someone passes in a hospital, you are going to start getting hard phone calls. And mm-hmm. so you may want to just give your phone to another person because the fr- Josh was upstairs packing and the first call I got was from some, well, one of the first calls we got was, we need to know what you want to do with the body. And oh I gosh. was like, the body? Mm-hmm. And they were like, what do you want to do with the body? And I was like, my dad? You mean my and dad? I was like, yeah. Yeah. And I said to Josh, Josh came downstairs and I was just hysterical. And I was like, they're fucking calling him the body. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he went from my dad 40 minutes ago to the body. 
Mm-hmm. And the next phone call I got was someone who wanted to know if I wanted to donate his corneas. We were driving and I was like, Josh, I can't do this. And so Josh just took my phone and started. Good for and him. I'm yeah. so glad we did it because Josh was like, I need to talk to her. I'll call you back. And then we did end up donating his corneas because he was that type of person that would want right. that stuff to happen. And you have to kind of have... And I don't think people plan this for themselves. Talk to your loved ones. You know what your husband probably wants in regards to like, do you want to be on life support? Do you want to do this? But we had no idea. I mean, we knew the kind of guy my dad was, but people should also be talking about what parts do you want of yourself? What do you want? And we had to, you know, do you want to be like, I just had to guess that he wanted to be cremated because I want to be cremated. And we were so much alike. I just tried to do what I would want. And so that happened August 9th of 2019. And I believe we had the funeral August 15th ish. And then we came home, we had to clear all his stuff out, clean all his stuff. The funeral was beautiful. His friends were amazing. Everybody showed up and did burnouts on their motorcycles. And it was until the police came and shut it down, which is exactly what he would have wanted. It was right. fucking rad. But that was the start of the darkest six months of my life. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I know that's heavy. Um, but I only my, cried for like a second. So I mean, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> my dad's and your dad's do overlap a little for purposes of how this goes. I'm going to tell my mom's story first because it happened okay. first. So when my mom passed, she was 58, which to me is way too young. She also was my best friend. I growing up was so close with my parents that they had to beg me to go to college. (laughs) I was wild in high school, but I loved my family beyond belief. And some of that was anxiety as well. And she was my best friend. I've described this to some people and I've even had some people be like, that's a little odd, but basically she was my person. If I growing up, she was my mom. Through and through, 100% my mom. But when I became an adult, especially when I became a mom, we became more like sisters. Yeah. We would have our little like, oh, I don't agree with that, but we never (laughs) fought. We loved hanging out with each other so much so that it's like, if she had friends in town, she'd be like, you want my daughter to come over? And like, I would be the same way. Like, and I was close with her friends as well. I mean, they saw me more as like a daughter than a friend. Mm -hmm. I still talk to some of them. My mom was the most amazing person. She was one of those people that, you know, those people that it's like, oh, that's my best friend. And then, but you hear like five other people (laughs) say that about them. Like she was that person. She had so many best friends. She was just a beautiful human being in every aspect. She accepted my husband since day one. My husband and I were only engaged or only dating for three months. She knew it was right. She fought for him. He struggled with alcoholism and she was like day. And that relationship between my mom and my husband was something I never thought about, but it was, yeah, it was wonderful. Here's how important she was to me. My husband would say, I loved when I would come home from work and see your mom's car in the driveway because I knew I was going to be walking into a happy home because (laughs) he, he was like, no matter what kind of day you had, yeah. if your mom was there, your mood was 10 times better. He was like, even if you, you had, had your best friend day, over. Exactly. And he was like, and then if you've had a stressful day, I know that she's there helping you and it's going to be better than if you were by yourself. So oh we spent all our time together. We moved to Virginia from Texas and I was like, I can't go unless my mom goes. And my mom was like, here I come. So <laughs> she came, my brother came, granny came. <laughs> We all did. We're all going. Right? So long story short, how we got here. My mom found out through genetic testing that she had Lee Fermini syndrome. 
And not a lot of people know about it. It's more common in childhood cancers. There is a Grey's Anatomy episode about it, but it trigger warning, it is very sad. So um, it's a lot of like childhood cancers. So when we got genetic testing, my mom had the BRCA test right when it came out because she had um, she got diagnosed with breast cancer at like 29. I was two, not even two. And she started treatment right when I was two. So they didn't know as much as they do now. So when the BRCA test came out, I was much older. She got tested. We were very surprised that she didn't have that. Then she got ovarian cancer when I was in my early 20s. And she was at a very good hospital in Texas that was a research hospital. And they were like, okay, this is weird because you're young for both of these cancers. And the fact that you've had two of them, something is not right. And so I'm so grateful for them. So they were like, you need to go through genetic testing. They provided it there on campus. It was so easy. We did a series, nothing. And then they were like, okay, we're going to test for this one Lee-Fermini syndrome. I highly doubt you have it. You don't fit any of the criteria, but it's like kind of like a checklist type thing. Sure enough, she had it and we were very surprised. So at this time, I don't have kids, but I'm married. We're still in Texas. I was like, I want to get tested because if I have this, I want to make sure that I am getting checked up mm-hmm. on more often than I need to. Yeah. And my brother didn't want to know. So he didn't get tested. My grandma oh, wanted to know. Mm-hmm. My grandma wanted to know. So her and I went and got tested together. While I'm waiting for this test result, I had to go through genetic counseling as well, especially because I didn't have kids. And they told me if I was positive, it would impact my kids. And basically, I could decide if I had it. There was many routes. I could get pregnant and just see what happens. I could get pregnant and they could test the baby test. and then yeah. all that stuff. Or we could go the scientific route, basically like, what is it like embryo selection? Yeah. Yeah. And so being the type A person, I was like, I don't know. And I was getting so paranoid. So my husband was like, you know what? We've talked about having a family. Let's just try while you're waiting for these test results. Let's just try and kind of leave it up to God, kind of like see where this path takes us. So the day we move, we arrive in Virginia, right when we pull in and we had rented the crappiest of crappy apartments. And my husband's freaking out because he's like, why did I move my family here? And I'm like driving and I'm like, I kind of feel nauseous. We pull, so we bought a pregnancy test. We pull up to this crappy apartment. He's going in to get the keys. I get the call saying, you don't have leave your mini syndrome. Go in the house and test positive that I'm pregnant. (laughs) It was like, yes, it was like, oh shit. So now my mom is living here. She's completely good. She went through her treatments back in Texas. Now I'm in my later 20s and she kept getting these weird symptoms. And I was like, I think it's your gallbladder. I think it's your gallbladder. And she was acting funny about it. So she goes to her doctor and they're like, "Uh, I think it's food poisoning. I think it's da, 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 da. And she was like, I'm still not better weeks later. And they were like, okay, go to the hospital. Then that night she calls and she's like, my cancer's back. So then I had to call my brother And at this point, I have a newborn. I don't know how old he was. He was little, probably two months. And my brother's like, how does she have ovarian cancer? She had a hysterectomy. She had a hysterectomy after her first episode. And we were like, that's a good question. So I did not know this, but... If you have cancer and they do not get every single cell, your body can still reproduce those cells. So Mm -hmm. she did not have ovaries, but she still developed ovarian cancer in the cavity where her ovaries were, which then spread to her liver and everything else. And so then the doctor's like, most of the time when I have a reoccurrence of ovarian cancer, my patients end up living with the cancer. So basically you'll do a maintenance chemo, which I had never heard of. 
So when they tell me this, I'm like, cool, we're going to get this under control. Mm -hmm. She's going to have like, yeah, she's going to have her debulking (laughs) surgery, which she did. And here we are like a year into treatment and we're like, okay. I'm like, you know, you get a little good news, like things are getting better. And then Mm -hmm. not so good news. Like, oh, your numbers aren't as good. And let's try a different chemo. Okay. This chemo is not working. I mean, it was just constant. So I assume when somebody tells me that I, I assume she's going to live like 80 years and have to do maintenance. Yeah. I guess I should have asked more, but I just didn't think about it. I don't think you should have asked. I'm going to pause you right there and say you shouldn't have asked more. (laughs) It would be nice if doctors could be more open, but yeah. And it was, that's one of my biggest things with my moms is I do not feel like there was communication with the doctors. I know. And I'll get into more of that in a second too. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to hang out with her all the time, but she was getting weaker. I have a toddler. Basically, excuse me, basically we're on like standby 24-7 because I want to be there anytime she needs me. Yeah. And she would have reactions to chemo sometimes. So I would go pick her up and she was just so easy. Like, I don't want to inconvenience you. And I'm like, no, I'm coming or whatever. (laughs) And even when she was at treatments, like there was a lot of behind the scenes that people didn't see. Like I would go to her house and make sure it was picked up, which she was very clean, but she was getting really weak. She had dogs. She had my brother's dog as well. Mm -hmm. I would take them out for her. I would usually like just clean her bathrooms, do something just to help her out because she's, she's divorced. So she's living on her own, but I loved it. I loved being there for her and seeing her every day, even if it was for two seconds in the car, because she lived like a minute from the hospital. And so my mom is still alive. And then I dealt with pre-grieving, which I did not even know was a thing. And I hit a bad depression. I was depressed about losing my mom, but she was sitting there on the couch with my son. And I could not wrap my brain about around how I was depressed about losing her when she was right there. But I think my body and my mind knew what was going to happen. And I just could not fully accept it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I didn't even know that was a thing. At all. I have never, I hadn't <laughs> heard it until you said it yeah. when we were and, talking about making this podcast episode. Right. And so this is like, we're a, a good year and a half into this. So this has been my life every day for a year and a half. And now I can just see her getting weaker and weaker. And then she was like spiking fevers and all this stuff. And were they still optimistic at this point? Or was it kind mm-hmm. of like an, oh, oh, they knew like things were They just kept downhill. saying like, let's try something else. We have so many more things to try. Okay. And at this point, my aunt came in town. My aunt, which she was like, she is a godsend and my uncle, they live three hours away and they would just come at a drop of a hat anytime I called them. And so we went and got a second opinion. Basically that doctor told us you're too far down the road in this cancer for us to do anything different. And she was not eligible for trials because it had spread to other parts of her body. So they thought she wouldn't benefit from radiation because of how aggressive it was at this point. So now we're at the point to where she can barely walk. I go to take her to chemo. I have my son with me because back then you could take kids into the hospital. Imagine. Um, Yeah. And I would basically go get her set up and then leave. And I go and I'm like calling her and calling her and she's not answering. So then I like go and I have a key. So I go in her house and she's in her bed. She couldn't get out of bed. And if you met my mom, you would know she would do anything. There was one point where I called my grandpa and I was like, grandpa, I cannot get mom to her appointment. I cannot pick her up. She won't go. And like, she was dead set. She was going to her appointment. My grandpa carries her to the car. So this is like a few weeks before, puts her in, wheels her into the hospital. And she was like, I am not going in this hospital wheelchair. I am walking. And he said it took him like 40 minutes to walk 10 feet. But she was like, I am walking. Like she was determined. So to see her not be able to get up, I was like, okay. Oh, and let me add in, I'm pregnant. And like- With your second baby at this point. Five weeks pregnant. Yeah. So you know, I'm not- I'm not feeling feel like 100%. Shit. 
I'm kind of blacking out a lot. But at the same time, like my mind is not thinking about it. And I had just told my mom, but not anyone else. We didn't tell anyone else. I call all my family. I call my brother. He comes in, my aunt and uncle, my grandparents. We're all there. Her best friend was supposed to come visit. I call her and I was like, you're supposed to come in a week. You need to come now if you want to see mom. It's not like the movies where they give you X amount of time. Like you have three weeks to live. As well as they did not help us set up anything. I had to call her doctor and say, I called the nurses and I was like, I need to talk to her doctor now. It was like pulling teeth, trying to get him on the phone. So finally I get him on the phone. He knew who I am because I went to all her appointments and I was like, my mom cannot get out of bed. I cannot bring her in for treatment today. What would you do if this was your wife? And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, I don't, I am in my twenties. I don't know what to do. I was like, is she dying? And he was like, yes. And I'm just like, And I was like, well, what do I do? And he was like, you can call hospice. And I was like, or what else? And he was like, or you can try and get her in here for treatment. And I was like, but if she's this weak, won't the treatment make her worse? And he was like, probably. So I was like, if it's your wife, what would you do? And he was like, I would call hospice. And that was it. No help. So then I call my friend who works for some kind of agency that deals with hospice. And I'm like, who do I even call? So she sends me all these information and is like, here's who you want to talk to. Here's what you want to do. And they were great. They, so my parent, my family comes in, they agree we're doing hospice. My mom was not crazy about it, but my mom is now at the point to where her mind's a little funny. She's very yellow. It all happened very quickly. And she's like, like she would get up, she'd be like, I have to go to the bathroom. And so she's like trying to sit up and then she's like, let's clean out my closet. And I was like, but I'm taking you to the bathroom. And she was like, why? And I'm like, cause you have to go. And she's like, no, I don't like it just, uh, she wasn't as sharp and things were annoying yeah. her. And like, she was usually very easy to please. And like, like I gave yeah. her a pencil to write with and she's like, what the hell am I going to do with a pencil? I need a pen, like not herself. So now it's like, oh shit, we got to get our ducks in a row. Yeah. And so, oh, and add in that during all of this, her two dogs have just passed and my brother's dog. So three dogs are now gone. And I've, I've, I've had to deal with that. Um, and that all happened. It happened one per month leading up to my mom's passing. This is a nightmare um, It is. It is. And like I said, I'm so super pregnant. Like Not super, pre- like super early pregnant. And you have that, a like, toddler. You feel awful. And my toddler is in tow 99% of the time. So yes, he sees yes. all of this. He's yep, there. Yep. Um, that was his best best friend. My son mm-hmm. would not go to anyone. He wouldn't even go to my husband. But then when my mom came, he'd be like, bye mom. Like, yep. Yep. That's so, how my dad and mine were yes, too. I had to raise a toddler and keep him alive. And so you have to go to, through the daily tasks of like filling sippy cups, changing diapers, taking care of yourself. And I just, it happened, I guess, because my son is still here. Yeah, but um, you were not, I guarantee yeah. you, you were the last priority. Exactly. And so When my mom passed, we were all there. It was my brother and I with her. And I'm not going to lie. I still don't fully understand how it happened. I know she had cancer, but I do not get how it got to that point. I do not get how her body just stopped working. It was fucking surreal. And I asked my brother and he's like, I don't know. I think unless you've like you see on movies, people die. It's not like that. It was There was two days where she laid there with her eyes open without blinking. My uncle, her brother had to go in and close her eyes because we just couldn't stand it anymore. And she would like moan. And it was not this like, I see the light kind of thing that you hear in the movies at all. And nothing prepared me for that. And hospice was great until 
So when my mom passed, I had to call hospice and say, she's passed and they have to come in and declare death. So it's not your usual hospice care team that you have during the day because it's middle of the night. And this lady comes in, her boyfriend's in the car and I know, and she comes in and she's like, where is she? And I'm like upstairs. And so I take her upstairs and I felt like she like starts manhandling my mom. And she's like, we have to do this because their bodies get stiff really quick. And like you said, like it just takes away that like, you mean my mom, my mom's body gets stiff. Like not their body, like and just she's I not felt a like piece she of furniture. Rough. She's a yes. goddamn human being that exactly me to love everything. Yeah. And so at this point, I just kind of like lose it. My brother had the opposite feeling. He wanted to be with her. I wanted to run, which has always been my go-to. I want to run. So I go outside and I'm like, I cannot watch them take her out of this house. Oh, so God, my brother I didn't think about that. Ugh. So my brother helps because um, we had to call. I also had to call the funeral home and be like, "You got to come pick up a body." And Ugh. they were super, super respectful. I will Aren't they say the best. That. They come uh, in suits people, and they're so sweet. And these those two young people guys. are heroes. Yes, and so they were awesome. My brother stayed, but they. The other thing they don't tell you is like the hospice nurse is like anything on her that you want, and I'm like, "What do you mean?" And she was like, "Well." she'll get buried or cremated with it if you just leave it on her. And so she's like, you need to take her jewelry. So we have to take the jewelry off my mom who's just passed. And she was like, what about these pajamas? She has her pajamas on. She's like, what about these? Do you want to keep them? And I'm like, no, like, no, like, no, just stop. Like, I'm not going to send my mom naked out of the house. And she was like, you can redress her. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to redress my mom. Like how that just felt disrespectful to me. I was like, these pajamas do not mean anything to me. Yeah. So my brother and I, yeah, I don't know, 20 something and 30 year old, like doing this, it was awful. Then my grandpa is in the next room, just bawling his eyes out. Cause that's his baby girl. It's the worst. It's everyone is a fucking mess. And so, like I said, so then my mom passes, I have to deal with the business of everything. My brother goes back to work. My aunt and uncle go back. So it's my husband and me alone and our kid. And your kid and, and your pregnant kid. Yes. And- yes. And we have, no, 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 no. I take that back. My brother stayed for a bit. So we have all this stuff to do. And my brother's like, so we tell everyone we're pregnant. And a few weeks go by and my brother's like, don't you need to go to the doctor for that? I'm like, yeah, I probably should. So he took me to my first midwife appointment. And a millionth time, if you don't have a midwife, get yourself one. Because he stayed out there in the waiting room with my son while I cried in the midwife's office for an hour. And then she, the midwife went out because she's never met my husband or not my husband, my brother, but she wanted to hug him and tell him how sorry she was oh my God. and then spent time with my son. And I'm just like, so if you don't have a midwife, get yourself one. Get yourself um, a midwife. <laughs> and so now my brother goes back and I don't know how long it's been. <laughs> Everything's a blur. It's my husband, me. And guess what? We have a house to deal with. We have rent to pay. We have to call landlords. We have to call bills. We have to close her phone. We have to do all this stuff. So I have not grieved yet. And I am just in the zone. I am numb. I am going about my business. So my aunt and uncle come down multiple times during the week, every weekend. My husband takes time off work. We have to take pictures of everything in our house and say, family, do you want this? Go through it. We hired an estate company to do an estate sale because I couldn't handle it. But then the stuff they don't sell, um, we had to go out and we had to donate it. We have to clean the house. I have to call her landlords. And people don't tell you about the calls you have to make. I can't tell you how many times I had to call friends and family and say, mom's dead and companies and be like, I need to close my mom's account because she's dead. Like it is the worst 
thing. Million dollar idea. If you can design a program that lets you plug in, right? This is what I said, because those phone calls just got harder and harder and made me angrier and angrier. And it was this daunting Mm. to-do list, but I didn't want to do it. But I had to, because I was the only other person on the accounts. They wouldn't talk to anyone else. So it's not like other people could do it. And so if you can design that, that would be Oh my God, you're totally right. I did. I forgot. (laughs) I, until I completely blacked all that out. But it's so true, like calling and being like, my dad's not going to pay. Like my dad is dead, so he's probably not going to pay this $25,000 hella med appointment. Exactly. And he's not going to, like, like, do you, and calling and being like, do you need a death certificate? And even so many do. So many do. And then you're just like, oh. Hey, they need another death certificate. Yep. Can we get it? Can I get another death certificate here? Exactly. Like, you don't think about how terrible, I forgot how bit terrible all that paperwork is. Yes. And so at this point, I'm just like living outside of my body, going through the yeah. actions. I think my aunt and my cousin, I have four cousins. I think my aunt and one of my cousins wrote my mom's obituary because I couldn't. I did do her memorial service, I think. I remember meeting with my pastor, so I think I did some of it. Isn't it cr- I had my aunt, my one aunt, did, who I call my fairy godmother, because she's not my actual godmother. She wrote the obituary, and my godmother talked to the priest for the funeral because he wanted to he said if you have a few minutes could you tell me about your dad's life and I was Mm. so taken aback by you want me Mm -hmm. to sum up this human being in a few minutes that I called my aunt and was like you've known him as longer than I have you've known him since he was 16 you need to call this priest and like thank god for these people that step in and do these yeah awful jobs And I will say there were some companies, I don't know if I can say their name, but they were fucking amazing. And then there were some that were awful. And there were some that would just be like, okay, thanks for letting us know. Click. Exactly. Okay, cool. And yeah. so I will say the funeral home was amazing. And I do have to share this short mm. little story. The girl we worked with was this young girl. They don't mm. tell you, you have to go to the funeral home the next day, which I did not prepare for. Shit so goes I, fast. Right. <laughs> So I cried that whole first night and then I just went numb. So at this point I'm dried up, but I'm like, you're talking to me? What? Like, huh? But she was so understanding. And so finally, like she's in the middle of talking and I just look at her and I'm like, why do you do this job? And like, you have no like Did she answer you? Cause I want to know. Cause they're she, So I would say she was like early thirties. Her, when she was pregnant, her mom was coming to stay with her cause her baby was due and got in a car accident and died on her way to see her. And she, so now this girl who's super, no, now she has a newborn because her baby was born then, like right after her mom died. Like, I think she said like 24 hours later. Jesus. Now she's has to do this funeral. And so she's at the funeral home, fresh out of the hospital with a baby. And she said they were awful. They oh were atrocious. God. And she, she was like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to change this business and be there for people. And I was just like, fuck yes. Like, fuck yes. Yeah. And so she had a similar, so she understood what we were going through. It was Okay. So that's something we should talk about too, because all we've talked about, and I feel like this was insensitive, is how much we loved our funeral directors. I am goddamn (laughs) sorry if you had a shitty one. Uh Because there are. There has to be. And if that happened to Mm -hmm. you, I am so sorry. I want to hug you because I can't imagine a worse time for someone to be Mm -hmm. shitty to you than when you're plunking down a credit card to have someone cremated and brochures about them. Yes. Yes. So we're sorry if that happened. 
don't tell you this, but bring someone else with you who I don't want to say is removed from the situation because I brought my uncle and my brother, but you do have to identify the body because they transported the body there. You didn't ride with them. So you do have to identify it. And God bless my uncle because he was like, you kids don't need to see this. And in the car, he was like, it was awful. It did not look like my sister. But I was so thankful that he did that. And he drove us because I was like, I can't even basically form sentences. So I don't know what's going on. All I know is I apparently paid everything and did everything from my mom's account, but I had no idea what I was doing. Now we had my mom's like little memorial. We had one in Texas because that's where all her friends were from. We did all of that. And now it's six months in and I hit a huge depression because it's, oh shit, my mom is gone. I have been so busy doing everything and it takes months to do everything Ooh, that now God, easily. I realize my mom is gone and she's not coming back. And it took that long to hit me. Yeah. And now what do I do with my life? Because we've spent every single day with my mom. My life has been being with her, being her best friend and taking care of her. So what do we mm-hmm. do? So that's when I had to go on antidepressants, give birth to my daughter a month later. She was supposed to be my birth coach, which was a whole other oh. thing. And now here we are. Three and a half years later, and I still struggle. I hate not having her here. I feel like people think you're supposed to be okay after this long. Even after the the six-month mark when I hit that depression, I felt like no one understood what I was talking about. And I still struggle. Some, And I know Janelle and I have talked about this. The first year is not always the hardest. And sometimes it's year two. Sometimes it's year three. And some holidays that you're dreading, end up being fine. And then other ones just sneak up on you. So it's always just unpredictable. Grief is an ongoing thing. And yeah. And that's how I feel about like both of my parents. It's complicated. It's messy. It has no timeline. It has no parameters. No respect. What was the quote that we keep sending back and forth? Grief is a bitch and she has no manners. Mm -hmm. I should have. I hate, right. And I hate the phrase of the stages of grief because to me, That sounds like there's an end. I'm so glad you said that because I forgot about that bullshit. No. And it doesn't go in order and it doesn't have these tidy little clean chapters. Like, fuck no. And I will say with both of my parents, I've dealt with anger and jealousy, which not many people talk about. When we planted my mom's memorial tree, everyone is like, it's so beautiful and lovely. I'm like thinking in my head, I want to kick that fucking thing over and rip it out of the ground. And yes. then I felt guilty, no. <laughs> but it was and like the jealousy. I know we've talked about like going to yes. the mall and seeing people with their parents and like, yes. And not having you and I have said multiple times, like, we don't feel like we have a home to go to. Like when people no. are like, I'm going home for Christmas or uh, I've got to go home and help my mom with something. I'm like, I, I can never say that. Like, I, I just want to be babied. <laughs> I want to yes. go lay on my mom's couch, have her feed me crackers and give me a juice box and watch my kids. Like, <laughs> It's crazy. And you don't, you and I have talked and I said there was a distinct period after my dad where I couldn't eat and we'd order food in restaurants and then I'd see a grandpa feeding Mm -hmm. the kid and I'd have to be like, we have to go. And Josh would be like, okay. And he'd get the food to go and we'd eat in the car because I couldn't watch a grandparent feeding a kid. And it sounds so fucking melodramatic, but it felt like someone was tightening a scarf around Mm -hmm. my neck. And if I didn't get out of there, I was for sure going to die there of how painful it was. And then you get pissed and it's awful. I'm going to die in this pizza restaurant watching right? some old man feed a toddler because like, yep. no, I, I'm going to the car. I'll see you out there. And I would just grab whatever kid had the most clothes on and run out with that one and leave the other one with Josh. Oh, at least you ran. I'm like, 
see ya bitches like no I would dip out <laughs> grab a kid and go like it was like I a just hurricane coming right <laughs> Okay, okay, so my so dad is, oh yeah, go ahead. Your dad, was your dad, so your parents were divorced, but your dad was alive during your mom's death? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I had to call him and tell him, which oh. I always say, I feel like the fucking Grim Reaper because I have had to call so many people and say, <laughs> X is dead. They're like, Jenna's calling. Don't Even answer. like my grandpa, right? My grandpa that just passed, <laughs> I had to call my mom's side because of course they were close. They knew him because my parents were married for, I don't know, yeah. a long time. And then I had to call my brother and I was like, my brother's going to fucking hate answering my calls like we talk all the time but luckily he had to tell me about my dad so I'll get to my dad take a breath (sighs) okay breath right so my dad's is I'm gonna keep it a little shorter because I covered some of the emotions with my mom my dad was an avid cycler my dad and I were super close as well I was a daddy's girl through and through built projects with him all that stuff my parents were happily married until I was a I want to say senior in college like I was old wow crushed my world. I thought that was the worst thing that was going to happen. Like we had, you feel like it's harder when you're older. Yeah. Like, well, and I knew more because they think they yeah, bent. Yeah, um, yeah. And that was my world. And like I said, they had to convince me to go to college because I wanted to live at home. Because they them. were so rad. You just want to hang out right? with them. And <laughs> exactly. no more them. Yes. And so my world crumbles. So before this, my dad was an avid cycler and he crashed his bike and he broke his helmet. Somebody sees it and they call an ambulance because I guess he blacked out too. And my dad is like, nope, I don't need treatment. I'm fine. My helmet did what it's supposed to. He traveled for work. So he gets on an airplane the next day. So if anyone knows anything about like TBIs, that's, you don't want that pressure (laughs) when you have a TBI. So he's had, he had doctors tell him and he believes he had a TBI, but there was no confirmation because he never got treatment until he started showing signs of dementia years later. So there was no scan. He never went to the hospital. So there's no even like record of it. Do you know, sorry to interrupt you. Do you, how old were you? So your parents split up when you were 20. How old were you when the bicycle accident happened? I mean, I was in college. So it was in those like But was it, do you think it was before or after the split up? Oh, it was before. Okay. So that's that's where it like gets to me. So my dad's medical history is a little unclear because he did get remarried and communication wasn't strong. We were all happy, happy family, right? So my dad has this accident and then I don't even know how long because I'm really bad at dates, but my mom and I started noticing differences. Yeah. Personality differences, things that he never had issues with before were all of a sudden a huge issue. He was very withdrawn, reclusive. Like I would be there and he would get mad saying like my mom and I just hung out all the time and excluded him. And we're like, we asked you to come. My parents had a swimming pool. We asked you to come swim three hours ago. And he's like, it's only been five minutes. Like he just couldn't tell time. He couldn't have any concept of time. It was weird. And then he started making really questionable decisions. So this led to my parents, not led. There was issues on my mom's side as well. This propelled the divorce to happen. We didn't know. Apparently these can be signs of TBI, like these personality changes. Nobody knows anything about TBIs until you have a fucking TBI to deal with. Yes. And he was a completely (laughs) different person. I can remember we were on spring break sitting on the beach, my mom and I. And my dad is walking up after hours in the hotel room working, which he was like your dad, like you don't mess with vacation. Like if he had to work a little on vacation, okay. But he was such a family person. And I look at my mom and I was like, has dad always been like this? Or am I just becoming aware? And she was like, something happened. He's changed. So it was very clear to everyone. And so now he's remarried. He's moved to Florida, which 
if you know my dad, my brother and I were still in Texas, my dad would have never moved to Florida without us. And I cried and I was like, I feel like you're leaving me and all this stuff. Like it was not my dad. Not at all. I can totally relate to that. And so now I'm engaged and I get married right around the time I get married. I could tell so many things weren't right. Like when we would meet to talk about my wedding, I would be like, okay, like he would travel for work. So he's like, I'm in Texas. And I'm like, oh, great. Like, let's meet Tuesday at three o'clock. And then Wednesday at like six o'clock, there he is. You know, it was weird stuff. Yeah. And apparently then his work started noticing stuff. And so they basically asked him to retire. Now he gets diagnosed with dementia. And And then early, not even 60, mid 50s. And then early onset Alzheimer's, followed by eventually a whole other slew of things. Slew, slew, something. Slew. (laughs) A slew of things that my brother and I are just kind of iffy about. Because like I said, communication wasn't there because... Yeah, married. And he obviously can't tell us everything. So every time I saw him, which is multiple times a year, it's getting worse. And when I've heard about dementia and Alzheimer's, it's a slow progression. But this was quicker than I've heard of, especially at his age. Yeah. And I went to go visit him after my daughter was born. So my daughter was born in February, my whole family, we drove to Florida 14 hours (laughs) in May, and he was not good. His parents then came to, his parents lived in Florida part-time. So they were there as well. One of my aunts were there. My brother flew in to surprise us and my grandfather from my mom's side. And basically his wife tells us she's going to put him in a home. And none of us were happy about this. And I was like, well, if you're going to put him in a home, I need to see this place. So I go and see it. And I asked them up and down, are you sure this is the place for him? Everyone seems much older. And they're like, we have experience with this. We know what we're doing. My dad's wife, which I do get it. I don't know if I would have made the same choice, but I can never say because I wasn't in her situation. Yeah, yeah. It is a lot of care to care for somebody with Alzheimer's, especially a young, strong man. Yes. That's so very, yeah. that's a good point. So I don't know what I would have done. I don't know. Then we leave. And the next day, he gets put in the home. And I am calling everyone under the sun that I can think of that would be able to have a contact to see how his first night went. And it's silent. And I'm like, this is weird. awful. Yeah. And I'm calling his wife. And so finally she answers and tells me that apparently they tried to get my dad to take his medication. He said no. They cornered him and he, quote, got aggressive. So then they call the cops and have him arrested. Oh my fucking God. Thank you. And to me, I'm like, if this is a well-established home and they kept saying, you know, it's, it's different because it was a female nurse and he is a young 60, 59 year old, 60 year old mm-hmm. male. And I'm like, but you should know you don't corner someone who's Alzheimer's when they don't know where they are. Like apparently my dad was flipping because he didn't know where he was. And then this stranger corners him and is trying to put stuff in his mouth. You don't do That's that. the most absurd thing I've heard in a long time. Exactly. And even my dad's wife was like, you should have called me. I could have come and de-escalated the situation because he would have at least known me. It's insanity. Yeah. And just to show you like how far gone my dad was at this point, like when we went to visit him, so this is like the day before, we would take him on walks because he could not sit still. He just wanted to move. Yeah. And so we would take him on walks and he didn't talk very much at this point. And he kept looking at my brother and saying, where is she? Where is she? My brother was like, what do you mean? And he was like, mom. My brother was like, she died, dad. And this is, I don't know, months. And he's like, what? And just starts crying. And is like, I can't believe oh she's dead. Oh my God. You and it like happened. Tell- yes. And it happened apparently no. twice. Yes. 
And so it's like, yeah, so this is how far he's gone at this point. Okay, so then he gets arrested. So then they send him to the psych ward. And in my opinion, he was not cared for properly. From what I understand, he was on a mattress on the floor, very limited visitors, because they said he was on a mattress on the floor because, quote, it was inconvenience because he wanted to wander and they didn't want him to fall. He is a strong active man that we would walk with he's not like feeble you know and they're supposed to have like bed sensors for this stuff like you don't put a patient on the floor so now they're not allowing him to walk so guess what he loses the ability to walk and he has bed sores everywhere Jesus. And now he's not talking. So then they put him in hospice. And my brother is like, I'm going. And I couldn't. I do not regret it. But I know some people don't understand. I could not go and hold another parent's hand while they died. I had just gotten out of a depression. I had just had a baby. I couldn't do it. And I don't feel guilty because I know my dad would say, don't. And I talked to him every day on the phone. He wouldn't talk. He couldn't talk back. I'm going to say that like my dad and I had a very close relationship, even when he mentally wasn't fit. I would talk to him about the weather every fucking day for over a year in circles and answer the same questions just to talk to him. Like we were very close. And so I do not regret not going. And so if you're in that situation, if it's not right for you, don't do it. He was not mentally aware. He would not have known if I was there. And I felt guilty because I was like, I held my mom's hand. I held my mom's body while she passed. Is my dad going to think I don't love him more? The answer is no. My dad knows how I felt about him through and through. So he passes and my brother calls and tells me. Apparently my brother stayed with him over the night and so did my papa, his dad. And then they were like, we're going to go get lunch. And my dad passes right when they leave. Yeah. And that is, if you ever met my dad, that's so my dad. Like, he's like, I don't want to inconvenience anyone. So I'm just going to do this while y'all walk out. Like, don't you love when they do like a sneaky thing like that? So here's the only thing that I really, 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 not the only, one of the things I really struggle with was my dad wanted, my dad was like your dad, like he all for science, let's help people. He wanted to have his brain analyzed. He even signed a paper because I guess I am not a medical expert. FYI, in case you were wondering, um, I guess that they can tell what happened to your brain, yeah. but the only way to do it is to basically analyze the brain in a science slice, lab. Slice, yeah, exactly. And so he wanted that done to further science and for my brother and I, because he's like, if this is early onset Alzheimer's, I want you guys yeah. to know I if it's a TBI, yeah, you don't have to worry. Yeah. And full disclosure, there is history of Alzheimer in our family, but it's people that have lived till they're like 90. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, there's no like 50 year olds, it, it except makes my dad. Sense. Yeah. Yes. At some and point so, your brain is old. <laughs> yeah. So things didn't quite happen, which I don't want to fully say on here why. That's one thing I am going to keep somewhat private because I feel like it can stir the pot with my family. It was nothing to do with my grandparents. My, my family and I are very close on that side. But his brain didn't make it to medical science in the way exactly you at all, at all, and, it and hurts you still today. Yes, because that was the one thing he wanted, and I think that would give me some answers too. Because of course yes. I worry, like I forget, like I go and put my keys in the refrigerator, and I'm like, oh shit, am I losing it? Like, <laughs> but I mean, I was doing that kind of stuff before, so yeah. yeah. Um, so my dad's was hard as well, but. I feel like I lost my dad mentally years before. So it was easier in a way when he actually passed because it was almost like, okay, I can breathe. Because I'm not going to lie, he seemed miserable to me. 
He yeah. really did. He was anxious. He was pacing. He was not happy. When Oh, I forgot this little part. When I was leaving Florida, he tried to get in the car with us and said, don't leave me here. Don't leave me. Don't leave me here. Don't leave me. And that was the most oh we God. ever heard him talk. So then I'm like bawling. So oh like that's my, my last, last interaction with him. Like uh. he just was not, you know. So anyways, here you go. Here you want some more lifetime for you? I want, I want all of it. My dad's funeral is on the one year anniversary of my mom's passing. Oh. So I'm at my dad's funeral on my mom's <laughs> one year fucking anniversary. Did you know, like, did you even put mm-hmm. it together? Okay, I was going to mm-hmm. say, like, I wonder if you were so, just so deep in grief that yeah. you couldn't even see. <laughs> and it was one of those things. So they passed 11 months to the day apart. Jesus. And it was one of those things where it was like, this is the only date that works for everyone. And my me, mom, and papa, my dad's parents called me and they're like, we know what this day is. And I was like, you know what? Let's just get it all done in one day and let me be surrounded by people and be able to be numb and let me just do this one day rather than here's my mom's anniversary. Now next weekend is my dad's funeral. Like, fuck it. Let's just get it done in one day. Oh yeah. Good call. So we did. And I got to be with my brother. I got to be with my cousins, Mm -hmm. my grandma and my (laughs) in-laws. They all traveled to Indiana where my dad's from for the funeral. Eight hours. They rode with Ezra. So I had that support. I feel like losing my dad was hard, but I was able to grieve because I didn't have to deal with the busyness of it. So even though I still had to take care of two humans, I don't know about you, but it stressed me out to have to deal with the financial stuff of my mom. When I had to go to court for my mom's, uh, to probate her will, I was like running off to the bathroom, crying every few minutes and shaking. And I don't know. I don't know if I thought I was going to be in legal trouble. I I think part of me was like, did I do this paperwork right? Am I going to get in trouble? And if I did it wrong, it's on me. Yeah. And then I was like, and I don't want to lose my shit in front of people and cry. And luckily this lady was so sweet and it was, it was really great. And I will say losing a parent is a big mental blow. And then losing two was a mental blow, but I was almost embarrassed. I have a lot of baggage and luckily I was married before that. And like my brother even said that, like, it's hard because he's still dating and it's hard because we have so much fucking baggage and it's like, yeah. Here we are. Oh, and don't forget the U-Haul in the back. It's a lot. It's so it's very true. And it is yeah. embarrassing. It's embarrassing to have to say this ugly yeah. part of me that is such a big mm-hmm. part. It's I feel like it's like if you have like that, remember that tattoo that went viral, like the no rag rats where regrets yeah. are spelt wrong. Like you have to show this big ugly thing about yourself mm-hmm. when you're not ready. Right. And it having like an extra, like it's just a very gross thing to have to vomit onto someone that yeah. you just Mad. And that's what it feels like. And it's shameful and it shouldn't be, but it is because right. in America, we don't talk about this stuff. And I know we'll talk about more of this in our little episode about friends and stuff, but I know that my, so my mom, when she first had breast cancer, my dad told me it was really hard for him as well because he lost friends because he felt like people didn't know how to handle that. Yep. And my mom didn't pass away, but it was a very trying time for our family. I mean, my grandma moved in with us, God bless her. And we could have done it without her, but like I'm two, my brother's four, my dad's working full time. And there were friends that didn't know how to handle that. And my dad always told me that that was so hard for him. And I feel the same way. Like, especially when I meet new people, like they might be like, oh, this is a lot. I don't know if I want to get into this. Like, yeah. And I feel like people also feel like sometimes it's contagious. Like 
Yes. Oh, if your dad dies, oh my I gosh, think yeah. about the fact that my dad's going to die someday and mm-hmm. that's too much for me. I, I would have been the same way. I remember yeah. meeting people before my dad died and being like, oh, your dad's dead. Like, ooh, Ew. ooh. Like, and then like, it's, like, that's how I felt for like a year mm-hmm. because I'm like, okay, my mom's dying. And it was a long process. And then my mom died. And then people are like, I'm so sorry. Da, da, da. And I'm like, oh, by the way, my dad's also dying. And then do you want like, to talk about what, that as well? Yeah. Somebody was like, sometime, one time I went back to church after a long time and I really struggled going to church because it's emotional period. We're going to do a whole episode on our seasons of religion going through grief and life because we've been through them all. Right. And that whole, like, where you have to turn, I don't know if your churches, all churches do this, but where you turn and greet people, I was like, I don't want to talk to people. So I did go back to church and I go in late and I'm like, cool, I avoided that part. But then somebody's like, and this is months after my mom has passed because it took me a while to go back and people are like, I'm so sorry about your mom. How are you doing? And I'm like, well, my dad's dying now. Like, oh, that's all I could say. Like, (laughs) and it's the truth. And I'm like, oh, and I had a baby and here's her. Like, you want to see her? Like, she's cute. Like, they probably got in the car and were like, holy shit. Right. And then like, and then my dad does die. Like, I don't know, a few months later or a few weeks later. I don't even know. I'm really bad at time at this point. And so so, yeah, it's like, you feel like you're contagious. Yeah, and, and they like, talk about that in grief a lot. Is that you lose a big part of your brain dies in grief, oh and gosh. a big part of that is organization and time. And yes. I went to some, a lot of grief support groups early on because I was literally like my marriage mm-hmm. was falling apart, and my kids, like I told you, like were like, "Oh, yeah. cool, she doesn't care about." Like I, yeah, my kids never had an inkling that I, and they would never no. know. But like I was like, kids. I don't love my kids. I don't love my mm-hmm. husband. Like maybe I'll just leave one night in the middle of the night. Like. Yeah. So I was like, I, so I was, so I was going to support groups and they said, they're like, your body can't tell time anymore. Your body can't keep track of dates anymore. Nope. Like it's all I had to ask and it my husband. Come back. Yeah. Like yeah. when I was writing these notes, which Janelle knows it was very hard for both of us. She took breaks. Mm-hmm. She did it the smart way. I put it off until an hour or two before, and then I just word vomited onto no. the page. And then I had to call my husband and be like, so who was there when my mom died? When did this, this happen? Happened. I'm like, what year did... I can't even tell you when my mom died. Years. I had to ask my sister. I was like, did his accident happen in 17 and he died? And I was like, Amy, it's been two years. And she's like, no, it's been 18 months since he died. And I was like, it feels like 15 years right? since he died. It's been 18 months. Are you yes. fucking kidding me? Yes. And one thing I do want to add that I think you and I bonded over, and I just wrote a note, so I just read it, was The Lonely Island. And it was something my therapist brought up to me. And I just want to like let people know, if you're on this island, you're not alone. So basically, it's this concept that when you are in grief, especially in something that's not super common, like when you lose a grandparent, you might not feel this way. Because yeah. a lot of our friends are starting to lose grandparents or have yes. lost grandparents. Yeah. But when you've lost a child or a parent in a tragic way, or even a parent or a spouse, you feel like you're the only one. So you're on this you island do. and you're yeah. looking out at the mainland of everyone else and you feel completely alone. And so you shut mm-hmm. yourself off from friendships and everything. And thank God for that day on the playground, because now Janelle is on my fucking lonely island. And, and unfortunately, the there's island. a few other people, right? Like, <laughs> and it's one of those things like I got, I get so excited when I meet someone who's lost a parent, which is sounds so it like, awful. I'm sorry, you have to come but, to the island. But it's, yes. it's cool if you come on yes. over. <laughs> like I cried happy tears to my cousin, 
after I met Janelle, well, not after I met her, but after I found out, because I'm like, she has a dead dad too. And like, I'm so I happy. I my like, husband <laughs> on the way home and was like, I found someone that has dead parents. And right? she said that her and her husband fight too. And he was yes. like, they do? Because we thought we yes. were the only people that were like fucking falling mm-hmm. apart. And I was like, and we'll it's have, normal. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Yes. And we'll have an episode on that too. Like your husband's grieving your spouse. too. Like, yeah. Which I didn't know until my therapist said to me, I was like, he's just, yeah. I can't. And he was like, well, what was your spouse? Like, what was your husband's relationship like with your dad? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, they're best friends. And she was like, oh, so he's only supposed to take care of you, but his best friend died. And I was like, <gasps> oh and part God. of his wife died. Like, and you, part of his wife changed. died. That's, yeah. And that's another thing I was reading today. And so you're not alone on the island. And on Instagram, I follow someone called Writing Grief. Yes. And she oh, was so good. I I was reading it today. I think I sent it to you. And she was talking about how much time we put into making grief palatable to other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that we really need to examine. And I also think she was talking about how grieving back to back tragedies can magnify grief. And mm. primary caregivers are going to have different mm-hmm. grief experiences. So my sis, you and I have talked about this. My sister was my dad's primary caregiver for that year while he recovered from his traumatic mm-hmm. brain injury. And she had very delayed grief, in yes. my opinion. I'm not living in her brain, but what I've observed in her, I grieved deeply, devastatingly hard from day one to day yes. six to month six. After Christmas, I kind of started to come out of it. But I think that we need to understand the complications of grief Mm -hmm. in terms of if you're a primary caregiver, if you have my grandpa died six weeks after to the day that my dad died. And I didn't and we're not here to have a contest of what's sadder. My grandpa was old and lived a long life. Exactly. And had seen two two of his four sons die of heart attacks and had watched his wife died and had been waiting to go with her for 20 Mm -hmm. years, basically. He like was every day was like, I want to go be with grandma. I want to go be with grandma. Mm -hmm. Like he was good to go, but it complicates things. Mm -hmm. And being pregnant complicates things. All of being single complicates things because like there's so many complications to death. And Mm -hmm. I really, I've read so much. I've been to so many grief support groups regarding how America treats death versus how other countries treat death. There's and a book called Eternal. Read it if you haven't. It is well, so I'll fucking good. read it. Do you have yes. it? Can I have it? No, I got it Jenna. from the library because I was trying to learn about like Day of the Dead. My husband's Hispanic. And so I was trying to learn more about like Day of the Dead. And it's about how they deal with death in all the other countries. Yes. It is. Oh, it's, it's not so good. fair here. It sucks no. here. And we don't talk about it because we're so busy. And that's a big part of this podcast is mm-hmm. we're so busy making ourselves palatable to other people yes. that we will let our marriages crumble. We will let our relationships with our children crumble because we're bu- mm-hmm. we're so busy, quote unquote, playing by the rules that we just want to make everything look nice on a little platter to feed to our friends yes. and the people around us so we don't make other people feel uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. I'm not here for that anymore. No. Like, I'm not going to walk up to everyone I meet at a play pl- if play places ever become a thing again. Right. Uh, I'm not going to walk up and be like, nice to meet you and Janelle, my dad's dead. But I'm also yeah. not going to tiptoe around it and try not to make friends because I don't want to have to say right. that. And, and that if you don't have a friend life. that's like super support, like I've been open about my grief and I've said there are hard seasons. I struggle mm-hmm. in winter period because I, sh- I have a very strong anxiety level with germs. And so winter 
winter is always hard for me, no matter what. Even this winter with the pandemic and us staying home, it was still hard. I'm on edge all the time. And I've been open with my friends and said, winter is hard for me. And then add in holidays. It's right after my parents' birthdays. It's right after our birthdays. Yeah. It's hard. I get dark. And I've had to tell friends that. And those friends that stick by me, God bless them. But I've also had friends that are like, I don't know why you're not hanging out with me. And I've said, remember I told you this and you told me you were going to be supportive. And I, I kind of gave you this pre-warning, like this is where I'm, I'm at and I've gotten judgment for it. And you know what? It used to bother me, but now I'm like, I'm done. If you don't get that, then you don't get me. And I need that support. And I have it mm-hmm. in other places. And and you, you yeah. and I have talked about, so initially when we went to start this podcast, it was going to be just a, were we, okay. So I found some papers today. Were we going to write a grief book? At the beginning? Yes. Okay. So first we were going to write a grief book and then we realized neither of us had any of the qualifications for that. (laughs) So then we decided we were going to write a sentence. (laughs) So what's a verb? Um, Uh -uh. I don't know. Um, So then we decided we were going to do a grief podcast. And then Mm -hmm. long story short, my husband explained to us we needed it to be bigger than grief. But the reason this podcast came to be was because when I found out I was moving to Chicago instead of to Mm -hmm. literally into your backyard. My first and biggest fear was that I was losing my biggest support person Mm -hmm. in getting through the grief. I said to you, oh my God, you know what I never thought about until I realized I was going to move away from you is like, there's people that don't have a you. So there's people that don't have a Jenna to their Janelle and vice versa. There is someone out there right now listening to this that is living through this hell alone. Yes. And I wouldn't wish that on the devil. I Email wish us, on- <laughs> Facebook us, anything, Email seriously. Yeah. Come to our island. Sorry. It is, it's sad and it's dark, but it's worth it. And it's fun and it's too real. and weird. It's real. Yeah. And it's, you're not alone. Everyone, mm-hmm. and like, let's do a five synopsis of like, you're not alone. And you have talked very openly with me about your anger you're mm-hmm. not alone in being viciously jealous of your friends that get to go to their parents' cabin for the weekend. You're right. not alone in saying, fuck Thanksgiving, I'm not making a goddamn turkey. You're done. not a- done. You're not alone in saying, it's hard for me to be around your mom. To- so mm-hmm. you can say to your spouse, it's hard for me to be around my mother-in-law because I yes. want that relationship and I don't have it. You're mm-hmm. not alone in saying, Christmas isn't happening this year. You're not yep. alone in saying, I have to pull over because it's not safe for me to be driving this car right now across this bridge because I'm crying so hard with my kids in the backseat. Like you're not, you're not alone in the fact that you feel nothing at some point and you're just numb mm-hmm. and then you feel guilty mm-hmm. because you know deep yep. down you love your yep. kids and your husband, yep. but that yep. feeling is not there right now. And you know what? I hate to say it, but your husband, your spouse most likely will not understand that unless they have gone through it. And, and it I is never want that ugly them, and but I awful, say that to but, my husband all the time. Yes. And I will say I have had, I had a friend, I don't even want to say friend at this point. So she was somebody I knew in high school and she was a year younger than me. We didn't keep in contact or anything. There was no need for us to like, we weren't close. Yep. We just knew yep. each other. And she reached out to me right after my mom died, right after my daughter was born. So like, it's been a few months and her mom was starting to pass. And she was basically like, how did you do this? And I was like, I still don't know how I'm doing it, but I'm here. And we still talk. Yep. And I never had that relationship before And I wouldn't say we're like close, but I do, I feel very comfortable talking to her about things. And I think about her all the time and I pray for her and I've, she's been on my heart and I have, I feel like even though I haven't seen her in like 
I don't know, 12 years. It doesn't I matter. feel that bond to her. I wish I had someone to talk to when I was going through this. I had one friend who had lost a dad and she gave me like books for the kids and brought a care package. And I felt like that little bond. But besides that, we didn't really have like a relationship where we talked a lot. I did not feel like I had that. And I wish I did. And that was part of this whole podcast. If we could reach that one person that wants, hey, I'm not alone. We're here for you. And I know not everyone has gone through this, like Janelle said, but unfortunately you will at some point. And I don't know about you, but I was so close with my parents that like the death of parents intrigued me, which sounds kind of gory. Um, And I think it's because it was like one of those things like I'm so scared of it. So I'm intrigued by it. And so it always like intrigued me like books about it. Not like, you know, if there was a storyline about losing parents, I was just like very into that story. And now I am that story. (laughs) I Um. I didn't have that same experience, but I do distinctly remember because my dad always lived. He always lived so fast and hard. And I, Mm -hmm. he was the kindest, gentlest person you've ever met, but he also was never going to live by anyone's rules. And I remember always growing up. And once I had kids taking pictures of him playing with my kids and thinking, Mm -hmm. I need this picture because he won't be here one day. Uh. And I knew it was going to come sooner than later. And I took so many pictures of him. Oh, that's awesome. Because I just always knew that someday I was going to be looking at memories of him before mm-hmm. I was ready. But I yeah. wish I would have taken more videos because I don't have much of his voice. But that's the other thing I wanted to say. It's also, and I, you and I talk about this, I'm in a weird part of my grief now where I'll go three or four weeks without feeling anything. Mm-hmm. And then I will just, it's like I get kicked in the stomach by a yes. horse. And for two days, You know, I have that picture of my dad on his motorcycle Mm -hmm. sitting right by my kitchen. I walk by it 200 times a day and I look at it every day, but I feel nothing for weeks at a time. And then out of nowhere, I get that wave that knocks you down. Yep. And you can't, and I'm 18 months out and you're three years Mm -hmm. out from one of them. Like it doesn't get easier. It becomes part of your life and you accept it's part of your life, but it doesn't get easier. And it doesn't become your daily. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't become a part of your life. And right now, if you're in the early stages of grief, it feels like drinking acid. Mm -hmm. It becomes a part of your life that is like drinking apple cider vinegar first thing in the morning. Like it's a bummer and it's a part of you and it's you're a, a huge hunk of your heart is gone forever, mm-hmm. but it doesn't burn to the point that you can't take it. In all honestness, there were so many nights that I went to bed and just wished I wouldn't wake up in the deepest yeah. parts oh, of yeah. it. Like I was never going to hurt myself or anyone else, but I just pray, like, please just don't wake up. If I just yes. not wake up and my sister will take over, like my sister will help Josh raise my kids. It'll be fine. Like mm-hmm. I just can't wake up. I can't, please don't wake up. That will go away. And I haven't had a day where I wished I wouldn't wake up in a year, Mm -hmm. but I had more of those days than I didn't have those days for the first six months. And I can't imagine the person going through it alone. I know. I can't imagine. So reach out to us because we're here. Reach out to us and start talking to other people Mm -hmm. about this sort of stuff. I hope you're all the lucky people that have both your parents. Mm -hmm. I hope everyone listening to this has both Mm -hmm. of your parents. But if Mm -hmm. you're one of the unlucky people, find the other unlucky people. There's a ton of grief support groups if you go Google grief support. 
if you're not comfortable doing it through a church, I mean, grief share is something that's through church. There's grief support groups that are like AA groups you can look up. You can find us on any of the social medias. You can follow mm-hmm. Writing Grief. You can buy books about grief. So I reached out to my therapist and I did meet with my pastor because I had a lot of questions about death. And I think I showed up without shoes on. And it yeah, I was going to say, I can't wait for the episode when we tell the so, story how you showed up with no shoes on at your yeah. church. Yeah. Um, so that's one. And it wasn't like a religious standpoint. I just did not understand some stuff about what the Bible says and about losing my mom and just death in general. And I would love to talk about that. But my first inkling for everything is run. Yes. So I did not kind of the best. uh, So healthy. So I did not do any of the grief support groups, but I wish I did. And I am the person and I'm talking to you, you know who you are that would hear all of this and say, I should reach out, but never did. So to you, just send a, Hey, anything because you can't do it alone. Honestly, mm -hmm. there's doing grief alone is a sentence I would wish on no one. And there's um, a ton of which I can also link. Um, I follow Please some people do. on Instagram that have full libraries from Amazon where you can just go order, mm. order, 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 order. You know, I love me ordering some Amazon. Yes. You're always at the library and I'm always ordering fresh <laughs> paper, baby. And I think it's just reading about it is too hard in the beginning. And I had the opposite experience. I wish I wouldn't have gone to the grief support group as fast as yeah. I did because I wasn't ready to process and I needed more time to heal myself before I went because I just sat there and cried loudly for most of it. Mm-hmm. There's no right time to do things. There's no wrong time to do things. You could still go to grief support. Yeah. You And I probably will never, I don't know if I'll ever go back to church. Like everybody yeah. had, I was very religious before this happened. And like everybody has different experiences with this whole thing. But the mm-hmm. one experience that is tried and true is that this is not something you can muster through alone. No. If you no. don't have someone, I, I yep. we will find you. We will find you a someone mm-hmm. and tell them the nitty gritty shit. Because once yeah. it leaves your body, it feels so much better. <laughs> exactly. And my therapist isn't specifically a grief therapist, but she's been wonderful. You just have to find that person that works for yes. you. Yes. And you and I have said that yeah. advocate for psychologytoday.com. Go on and find someone that specializes in grief or don't. Mine doesn't specialize mm-hmm. in grief, uh, but I've gone to ones that specialize in grief. And sometimes the ones that don't specialize in grief are better. Yeah. And you might, I've cycled through three therapists in the 18 months since my dad passed because I need yep. different things at different stages of grief, mm-hmm. not the stages of grief we hate, but the stages <laughs> of grief that are true that you stages went through. of grief. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I needed different things month one through six that I need now month 12 through 18. And exactly. I might need something in six months that I didn't need before, but yeah. you can't do it alone and you shouldn't do it alone. And if you don't have someone, I promise you feel maybe like you don't have someone, but you do. I didn't have someone until I stayed on the playground that day. I didn't mm-hmm. want to stay on the playground. And you might not have someone until you send an email or exactly. go onto Instagram and search grief. I sat in my car a week after my dad died and Googled grief groups. And I was sitting in a, a grocery store parking lot crying because my husband was like, you can't mm. be this hysterical in front of the kids. So I went up to the local grocery store, sat in the parking lot, Googled grief groups. And one was the next week starting. And I went and I was like, I don't know what I'm and so I was like Aww. 11 days. My dad died 11. We all go around and introduce my the, ourselves. And they're like, my son died three years ago. And I'm like, oh, God, that's awful. And then I'm like, my dad died 11 days ago. And like, just full, like yep. full mess. You can't, if you, you, there's groups for everyone, no matter where you are. And there's the internet and we're here and 
please yeah. God, don't do it alone because I would have. And it dead. might take you a while. This is the first time I've ever even written about my parents. And I'm going to save this actually my notes on my iPad because I want my kids to know. And I will say I'm grateful for this because it gave me the push I've needed to do it because my kids won't be old enough to remember. Like my son remembers my mom. My daughter never met my mom, but he doesn't, from what I understand, remember fully how she passed. And I'm just grateful that I got to write that out, even though I waited last minute and had a fit in my stomach the whole time. And yeah, it feels Mm -hmm. yucky. And that's why I just kept like a piece of scrap paper on the counter when my kids were eating breakfast every day. I'd write like three sentences and then was like, oh, wash my hands of this. Like (laughs) putting it on paper or on a computer is hard. But I also was told by a therapist at one point, and I have some locked documents in my computer that I've forgotten Mm. the password to, but they're letters to my dad. And I can't read them, but like, I don't need to. And I don't, because I never wanted anyone else to read them. But um, uh, MacBooks fully lock you out if you forget the password. So don't like set a pass. But but I'm fine with it because I wrote to him and said, I'm sorry, I didn't bring the kids to see you that night. I don't think I would have made a different decision, but I I did it. And I know it's my biggest regret in all of this. But I think you know that I did it because Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to see you. And like he fully knows. Yeah. Sit and write it down on your computer in a locked document that you can never read again. And just say it to someone, say it out loud. Mm -hmm. And I won't, you know, I, I refuse to journal because I'm scared someone will find it after I die. So <laughs> put it in your goddamn computer with a lock on it and then forget the password. But it's out of your body and that toxic yuck leaves mm-hmm. and it's still going to be there, but it's going to have a little bit less sharp teeth, if that yeah. makes sense. Like it won't be able to nip you as hard the next time. Every time you get it out by saying yeah. it or writing it, it loses a little bit of its strength. But it is still draining. Like, I'm about to go to bed after this. I was going to say, I don't know how you wrote that whole thing. And I'm about to have an emotional hangover. (laughs) You're going to have a hard day tomorrow. Um, Make extra coffee. Yep. So, here is your friendly reminder to call your therapist and take your meds.